0: Hi, this is Sarit Switzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, The Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast. This is episode 641 for the 8th of Elul in a regular year. Before we begin today's Tanya, I wanted to mention that today is actually the yortzeit of my maternal grandfather of blessed memory, Avram Yitzchak ben Benjamin HaKohen, who this whole podcast uh, endeavor is dedicated in, in memory of. So it's my great honor to dedicate today's episode to his memory, where really the entire It Is Taught tanya podcast and eventually book is is dedicated to him but i'll make a special dedication to uh to today's episode and I, his neshama should have an aliyah and everybody who's listening should have many revealed Rajas and his host who is a very special man and he's very much missed and loved so with that being said let's continue on so i want to ask you guys a question what is beauty So there's been like a lot of studies into this idea. What do we consider beautiful? People have the often quoted study is the idea of like symmetry, you know, symmetrical faces. But actually, from my understanding, this has actually been a little bit debunked. And while symmetrical faces can be appealing to the eye at first glance, it's actually sometimes a slight asymmetry that makes a person beautiful. There's this website that I once came up across that I found really fascinating, where it took different celebrities who are considered to be really attractive, who most of us really think of as beautiful, and it took their faces, and first it showed the face as a regular, like, this is, this is their face, this is what we know of as their face, and then it showed their face where they actually made the right and left so- sides of their face totally identical, so you may or may not be aware of this but actually the right side of our face and the left side of our faces are never totally identical. They're never like perfect mirror images of each other. Usually one side of the face is a little bit tighter than the other side. The shape can be slightly different The the eyes can be a little bit different like there's actually a quite vast difference between both sides of a person's face for some people to a greater extent to some people for a lesser extent. So anyway, so going back to this website that I came across, it was really interesting because what they did is they took these celebrities who we usually think of as beautiful. And then they showed us a picture of them where their, their faces actually were Totally symmetrical. We're a hundred percent like mirrored images of of uh, of each other, both sides of their face. And interestingly enough, they actually weren't as beautiful anymore. They they actually seemed kind of weird. There was something off. So I think this points to a really interesting concept, which is something that we're going to be talking about today, because today's topic is actually all about beauty from a godly perspective, that beauty is not as simple as just symmetry. Like when you go to an art museum, if you were to just see like a piece of art that is just like a bunch of like really symmetrical lines, there's it's not that interesting. It's not so like, what's so fascinating about that? What makes something beautiful is that there's complexity, there's depth. There's nuance. There is conflict. You know, why do we like watching different stories? If there's if there's a if there's a movie that you watch and the sto- the story unfolds and it's very straightforward and it's just like, da-da-da, this happened, then that happened, and then everybody lives happily ever after. That's not interesting. There always needs to be some kind of conflict. And that's what makes the story interesting. That's what makes life beautiful. Music is like this. Everything is like this, really, in this way. On the other hand, conflict in and of itself does not make for beauty, right? This might sound really commonsensical, but it's just because you have two things that are really opposite each other, that doesn't automatically create beauty. There needs to be a third factor in there. What is that third factor? The third factor is the resolution. You know again going back to like you watch a really good movie you read a really good book there's there's a build-up something happens oh no the main character almost like you know like let's say in um, romantic comedies you often see this that it's like it starts off they meet each other everything's going well and then something happens some major catastrophe something like that where they almost break up and then there's some kind of resolution then they get back together so what is that resolution what is that that uh that third factor that comes in and brings and and uh and reveals the beauty inherent in these opposites this is what we call harmony and this place of harmony or in in uh in torah this is associated also with compassion actually comes from a place that's above both of these two opposing forces it comes from a place where they are actually sourced in so we're going to begin this discussion by talking about two essential opposing forces, forces which we're all pretty familiar with, namely fire and water. This is where the Altar up is going to begin his discussion of all of this. And what this will lead to is the spiritual source of these forces, which is the two opposing forces of Chasid, which is this extroverted outgoing, outpouring of energy, and gvora, which is the polar opposite, this idea of, of restraining, withdrawal, of holding back, constriction, all of that. And today we're going to talk about how it is that God creates peace between these two opposing forces, between these two attributes. How is this peace manifest? And the simple answer, really, is that while these two things are attributes, these attributes have a source, and their source is in God. So we, we've we spoken about quite at length in different parts of the Tanya about how there's God and then God manifests himself through his different attributes and how all of God's attributes are really one with him. They're really all encompassed within him. But so while the attributes are encompassed within God, God is not encompassed within his attributes. God is not limited by any one of his attributes. So there's a space kind of within God, so to speak, where we can say that God is above his attributes, where God is uh, surrounds all his attributes and they all unify. They all come together in this, this harmony because they're coming from the same place. So we can think about this with an analogy of a parent. You see the parent hugging their child and then you see the parent disciplining their child. And while this might seem Seem really opposite, really totally very contradictory actions. In the source, both of these things are coming from the parents' love. So today we're going to learn about that source. Today we're going to learn about that, that, uh, that aspect of God, which is the source of these two attributes, which causes them to blend and to harmonize. And this is actually another attribute, which is interesting. We also call it an attribute, but it is, it's an, it's a different kind of attribute because there's something a little bit more essential about it to God's nature. This is the attribute of compassion, of rachamim, of tiferet. we call it. It's a unifying force that, that unifies and reveals the, uh, the source of the other two attributes. So let's get into the text and see how the Altar Rebbe explains all of this. And for context, we're beginning a new epistle today. It's Epistle 12. And the Altar Rebbe begins by bringing a citation from Yeshayahu which speaks about our favorite topic of this section, namely giving tzedakah, giving charity, where Yeshayahu the prophet, he refers to tzedakah as being in a sense related to peace and in another sense related to quiet. But yet the wording for those two things is slightly different. So uh, yeah, so the altar Abba begins with this citation, from Yishayahu. What is the citation? It's Yish, uh, from Yishayahu chapter 32 verse 17. It says, Which literally means, and here, and it, was, and it was that the deed of doing tzedakah was peace. And the work of doing tzedakah is quiet and surety forever. Okay, so what does this mean? This is very abstract sounding very obscure right the deed of doing tzedakah is peace and the work of doing tzedakah is quiet and surety forever so there seems to be this distinction and this is exactly what the altar of he says we want to understand the difference between the deed of tzaka, the maasat tzedakah to the work to to the avoda of tzedakah and this distinction between shalom which is peace and hashket vavetah, which is quietness and surety what's the difference here and he says the way that we're going to understand this, the distinction between these two things, is by actually looking at, uh, at, the, at a teaching of the sages that's based on a pasuk in Iov, chapter 25, verse 2, where it says, shalom He who makes peace in high places. So the Midrash teaches about this, that this whole idea of what does it mean that Hashem makes peace in high places? Like, what what is this a reference to? This is this idea that it's actually talking about the angels, the angels on high. So we know that two of the most prominent angels in Judaism are Michal, the angel Michael, and Gabriel, Gabriel. And Michal is the prince over water, and Gabriel is the prince over fire and yet they do not extinguish one another. This is the teaching of the Midrash. So what does this mean? So what is this whole, you know, really obscure-sounding imagery about all of this fire and water, all that stuff? So Michael, Michael is the... Prints over water. What is water? Water is often referenced with chassad. So, so chesed. Why is it chesed? Because chesed is called water. W- why? Because water goes from a very high place to a very low place, and it's this idea of of uh, hashba, this idea of of uh, of giving, of influence, and spreading forth of the vitality from the higher worlds to the lower worlds right so it's like this whole idea of water you think of water water is very effusive water is very like it pours out it shines forth and that uh, that is a nice imagery for understanding the concept of chassad, which is also like that versus fire when we look at fire the nature of fire is to rise up above it goes upwards right if you ever look at a bonfire the flames are moving upwards so this is associated with the idea of gvora why because gvora is the idea of removal of the influence of uh, of Of life from below to above so that it will not be manifest but rather it's going to become more constricted with a very great intense constriction and so these are two opposing forces that are totally opposite from one another when they are found in their state in their state of like their their ultimate ultimate manifestation as attributes however God makes peace between them through revelation because he reveals to them this radiance that is so great that comes from the infinite light of God. Because like his name, so is he. So what does that mean? Like his name, so is he. So meaning to say that the same way that we call God infinite, we say that God is infinite, then this means that God is truly infinite. It means that he's not, he, he doesn't have a measure to him. And interestingly, there's a little bit of a play on words here. The word in Hebrew for measure is midah, which is the same word for attribute, mida, midos. So I think that's interesting because whenever we talk about a specific attribute, it's like we're kind of imposing a limitation. We're giving like parameters, like, like kindness is, has a very specific definition to it. Severity has a very specific delegation of what that is. But God is above these limitations. God is above, he transcends to an infinite degree all of his attributes, even when we get to the even high, really high attributes of Chochmah Bina and Das, which is the source of all the attributes. Chochmah Bina and Da'as, remember, is the intellectual attributes of God. So this, is this they are the source of what we commonly refer to as the attributes, quote unquote, which is the emotional attributes. And so thus, when we go back to this op- these oppositional attributes of Michal and Gavriel, then they become uh, encompassed in their source above, and in their root and they become one they become truly unified and become totally nullified to god's blessed light that shines within them in a revealed state and so thus what the happens then when these two forces become unified within god's uh god's and within their source which is within god what happens then these gvoros become sweetened and become kind of mellowed within the chassadim within the kindnesses and how does this happen how does it happen that the gvorus becomes sweetened within the chassadim this happens through an intermediary uh, uh, a a memutzah, it's called in hebrew and what is this intermediary this is a um a line that leans slightly to the side of chassad it's like a little bit biased towards the side of chassad so meaning this is the attribute in other words of rachamim. this is the attribute of mercy so it's interesting that even within its source, the source of these two things, there's a bias, and that bias is towards the right side. The bias is towards the side of Rachamim, and this this ultimate, this source that we're talking about, that is that unifies both of them, is uh, this this of Rachamim of compassion, is also call, called the name of beauty. It's the, called the name of Tiferet by uh, according to Kabbalah. So if you, again, if you look at that like outline of the structure of the of the spheros, then this attribute which unifies the, uh, the right and the left is, um, is Tiferet. Why is it called Tiferet? Why is it called beauty? So this brings us to the discussion which we started talking about in the introduction because, uh, because this, lov- this level of Tiferet is made up of two shades. It's made up of white and it's made up of red which allude to chaser and gavura, which allude to these two attributes of Chasset and gavura. So again, going back to our discussion about beauty, it's like if you just have one color, that's not beautiful. If you just looked at a painting and the whole painting was white, like what is it? There's nothing there, right? It only becomes interesting and beautiful if you add another color there, if you add another shade, something else going on. That's what makes beautiful when you have this push-pull of the oppositional forces. And so this is what Tiferet is. Tiferet is this harmony. This is why Tiferet is made up of these two colors of white and and red to allude to this harmony of opposites. And so now the Altrecht goes on and he says that this is why, when we now we can understand when we talk about the name of God, the Tetragrammaton, the Yudke Vavke, Havaya, um, and we see this throughout the Torah, this is actually a, a, a reference to this attribute of Tiferet as it's stated in the Zohar. So we see this often, right? Like we've spoken about how God has a lot of many different names and each one of God's names have a different association with his attribute, like the name of Elohim is associated with with God's Gvura. Uh, the name of the like the the Shekhinah is a reference to God's um, <clears throat> or Adnos is a reference to God's uh, to God's Malchus, God's power of power of Malchus. So there's different names of God that allude to different attributes of God, to different ways that God manifests Himself. But there's one name which is kind of like when we reference God when we say like Hashem, you know, it's like Hashem is an abbreviation. It's sort of a euphemism for this Yudke Vavke, this Tetragrammaton, which we know is like such a holy name that we don't even pronounce it properly. It's kind of what we think of as like the most essential name of God, and so what the ultra is teaching us here is that this essential name of God, it is also associated with an attribute. The attribute it's associated with is this attribute of Tiferet, of beauty, of Rachamim. And so this teaches us that there's something about this Mida of tiferet, There's something about this attribute of of beauty, of harmony, that is more radiant and more manifest than any of the other attributes of, of holy attributes of God. So, it's not just another attribute like any of the other attributes. It's special, it's different in some way. So that's it for today that's the end of the section so just again to recap so we talk we're getting into this deeper discussion about the harmony of opposites and into what it means what peace means what like uh, and if you remember yesterday we st- this this is in the context of a broader discussion where we wanted to get into what this idea is that uh doing stucca versus service of stucca what the difference is and how the the act of stucca brings peace versus the service of stucca brings quiet and certainty. And we're trying to understand the difference between the two. So today we got into this, a little bit of this discussion as to what is peace exactly and how it is that God makes peace between these two oppositional forces. So that's it for today. And we will continue along these lines tomorrow. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sareed Switzer.